0: Doug and Marty vs. the world is sponsored and paid for by Marty McClendon, Doug Bassler, and Easytvspots.com. Round one, go. I only want one thing.
1: What's that, brother? Bring What's us that? some
0: figgy pudding.
1: Some figgy pudding.
0: <laughs> it a figgy. I've never had figgy pudding. I think it? it would be nice. You know, it's in the song. This is Doug
1: Bassler. And Marty McClendon. This is Doug and Marty versus the world. I've never had figgy pudding either, or minced meat pie, by the way, which seems to be popular around that era. All songs. I know
0: about minced meat is uh when uh, one cat used to say, I'll make minced meat out of that mouse. And I don't even remember right? if that was Tom and Jerry or what who who that was, but
1: I think it was Tom and Jerry. I think you're yeah. right. I'll make, mince that meat. I'll make
0: mincemeat out of that mouse. <laughs> so don't even well, know what mincemeat is. Don't, don't know about mincemeat pie, but you know, many happy many, holidays, brother. Merry Christmas. Happy Merry new Christmas.
1: year. Happy new year. Obviously we're coming into the weekend and uh, the holidays and um, I'm last excited. Saturday, Christmas
0: is a week from the day, brother.
1: I know. It's I know. Let
0: the panic shopping begin. That's all I got to say, brother.
1: <laughs> you know, last year we're ahead this year. Yep. Panic shopping is already happening. Uh, <laughs> well, Last year, we didn't have <laughs> supply chain issues. They said that warehouses
0: full of stuff and you could get it. Now, my daughter, uh, my middle daughter, Courtney, that got married uh, a little while ago, sent out this thing. And it said, you know, if you're waiting for a package, it's in the hands of God now. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like This person's like crying. It's, you know, so, yes. you know, prayer and, in, in, you know, lay hands on your UPS driver, you know.
2: There we pray go.
0: and hope that Amen. your package arrives. But <laughs> I've been, and so because of that, I have been shopping almost exclusively in person or buying online and doing curbside pickup because I know I can get it. Right. And so, um, so like actually, uh, later today, I think I need to go down and get, I ordered a, a certain thing for my son. And then I made sure I was going to get this like photo book thing from Walmart. And so instead of getting it from the Walmart by my house, I got it at the Walmart. That's down by the place where I'm getting the thing from my son. So I'm learning how to combine trips. Right. Because right. I don't know. Have you been out on the road lately, brother? I have. There's I a have. lot of traffic. So the lot of a lot of people are just like, me. they're out there <laughs>
1: shopping again. Well, even a few days ago, it was pretty slick out there. A lot of accidents as well. More people haven't driven for a long time. Weather changes a little bit. So, be careful out there. And, of course, the shopping thing, too, you know, we, it's a very strange time. And, and I know that we always talk about tinfoil hats, right? We always talk about, you know, all the stuff going I know we're going to talk about sort of the last two years during this pandemic, endemic, all the ongoing tyrannical scam, Pandemic, scam, scam-demic. scamdemic, whatever. But did you see? This week, brother, I, that's why I want to bring this up a little bit because I used to be a big, I don't know, I'm not sure about you. I, I used to listen to radio, like driving across uh, country at night and that kind of stuff. I used to listen to George Norrie, right? About the aliens and that kind of stuff, right? So yes, remember, did, not you, brother? Yeah, A couple months ago. A couple <laughs> is that months how ago, come you hang
0: out with me? Do I remind yeah, you it of is, something, brother? George Norrie,
1: right? <laughs> so, the you know, a couple months ago, we talked about the fact that the U.S. military released documents about uh, UFOs, right? Well, there's been reportings now all across the nation and the world of increased sightings of unidentified flying objects. We don't know what they are. Not doesn't say it's aliens. But tie that into this week, um, they actually published all of the research and the investigations for the John F. Kennedy assassination. So I haven't read them. Read they're now public record now released. They've been uh, sealed and closed for, what, 50 years now? And so for all those people out there to need something else to think about, be distracted about, think about, think about UFOs and John F. Kennedy's assassination. 57 right. years. It was my fifth birthday, brother. Really? Wow. And no, so, you, actually
0: 58 years. Yeah.
1: 58, 58 years. years. Yeah. Did you remember
0: or were you at the time? Did I you do remember? remember. Yes, I okay. did. We were, I was having a birthday party and all the other kids went home early because the president had been assassinated. Wow! So I remember, I remember Reagan that? getting shot, and we yeah. went uh, we went and uh, watched it on TV, and Walter Cronkite and all this stuff. You know, Walter Walter Cronkite was real big at our house back in the early '60s when, right. before they before they realized he was gay. He was never gay, brother. I've been um, saying, I have no idea what you're talking about.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, that's. I didn't even know that, brother. Well, I'm going to have to look that up as if I had all the time in the world to do anything. The National
1: anything. Archives are now posted. They, they did it fairly quietly. It was a news story, but it's now released. They were talking about it for about a year and a half of saying, we're going to actually get attorneys over. People were asking for it. Now it's been published. The National Archives, you can look at it, all the research. And they had all kinds of theories they investigated. Uh, like the Russians were involved back then. The Chinese government was involved. Someone was trying to assassinate. And they were all... A lot of the stories about um, the the guy that shot um, Kennedy, right? They were, they go, the FBI that got the report saying, this guy's mysterious. This guy's been hanging around. He maybe something. Then they go, no, no, that's, it's not real. They dismissed it. All, it's, 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 it's fascinating the stuff that I've seen so far is how they overlook or kind of discredited credible claims about the possible assassination of a president. So, you know, that don't, the more things change, the more they say the same, if you ask me, right. Would it be the FISA gate? It's just people. Neighbors? See, yeah. that's the
0: thing. You know, we start to, we start to believe that the press releases that, you know, somehow these elite people are like smarter than us and more professional and they have better training. And, and, and in some cases, you know, that may be true. You know, like uh, I think Winston Churchill was pretty good with a word and a phrase, yes, right? Was, yeah. And was leadership and stuff like that. But he still was fat. He still smoked mm-hmm. cigars and overdrank. You know, but um, you know, so there's no like perfect thing. No, there's he was no still perfect rejected person.
1: Multiple times, was fired yeah. a couple of times. Yeah,
0: yeah. And so we got to understand that these FBI people and these people that are in in the deep state and these people that are elected and stuff like that—they're people. They are mm-hmm. just people. And people are flawed yes. and they do stuff. And um, so, you know, do you think, brother, in 2022, (laughs) that there's going to be a giant red wave of Republican wins?
1: I do. I do. Only if we, as Republicans, will actually stay on message and work our tails off. Because in light of 2020 and 2021, as we just saw recently too, um, there is a lot of moving parts, a lot of money, a lot of misinformation, and we know from a fact, it's been numerically, uh, scientifically proven, if you like those words, um, that mainstream media is a biased platform. They are pushing a narrative to the majority of the U.S. American citizens who watch TV, radio, whatever, listen to it, um, of one side. And it's, it's pushing a narrative, like get the vaccine, COVID mandates, this program. So, yes, I do. But we've got to get the message out. People are hurting right now. People are, are burdened right now, and we have to let them know. Connect the dots that changing the majorities, getting rid of those in office, and electing good conservative Republican in office will change that will, to address our fiscal policy. It will rein back the crazy, if you will, when it comes to all these social platforms, the like New Green Deal and that kind of stuff, and and remove the burdens that is crushing American citizens right now. So I think, yes, but we have to do our job of making sure we get the word out, making sure the answer really is turn out the vote and vote for these people. That's how we do it, brother. And it's going to happen, but it's, 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 if we do our part.
0: You know, uh, I talked to a state representative, Jim Walsh, last week and I asked him about basically the same question I just asked you. And he said, you know, yeah, the polling right now in Washington State is very strong. It's a plus 13 Republican in Washington state. So every race is up every every everything's on the table. Mm-hmm. And so if, you, if, if but he said, you know we have a history of snatching defeat out of the jaws of victory. So we still <laughs> need to cover every race. We still need every legislative uh, race covered. We cannot mm-hmm. allow people on a wave election year as 2022 will be. Uh, to run on a post so we file and we you know we at least make those steps and then as you're filing you know there's some great training out there you can go to your 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 uh county parties we'll offer it. hillsdale college has some wonderful Canada training, yes very good stuff so you don't have to go out there and like well i don't even know what to do you know nobody knows what to do at first and you learn and so you don't um You know, I think this is uh, the first thing we should be thinking of for the next, you know, three, four months as we're uh, moving up to the May's filing week here in Washington State is getting candidates recruited, getting people to run and remembering what I just said about the FBI and everybody else. We're all just people and you're. You're way smarter than Brandon or whatever his name is in the White House.
1: So I'm glad you came back there for a second. First of all, (laughs) what we see, those that we think are superior, whether they're music stars or they're TV stars or they're people that in the deep state, like you said, or in the federal government, they may have skill sets or whatever. But typically, what they present to us is is an Instagram photo. At one time when they've got their hair professionally done, wearing this suit, where they put on the impression they got things put together. Like you said, they are just like us. Um, in, in many cases, they're just doing a job. We're trying to do the best we can. And we all have bad days and good days. And so if we took only took a picture of our best day, brother, we would look great. But the problem is we live in real life. So, yes. It's on the um, website yeah marty.com that's our best day remember i
0: believe i went through hours of video before i found those clips of where we actually look great right but uh no i agree and you know i'm in i'm in advertising i'm in video production yep. you don't use the out of focus shots you don't use the bad shots you don't lose the shot where the pudgy's showing or whatever right you use right. the shot where they're all put together and the makeup's good and the hair's combed and all that stuff and that's what you know. So. And you know we live in a Facebook world, right? And that's what people Mm -hmm. put out there. The stuff they put out there is like their best stuff. That people, it's very rare that you find people really bearing their soul on Facebook. And when they do, you know, we mock them.
1: Yes. (laughs) Well, well, some. Yeah, I'm just kidding.
0: But you know, so just this. This is going to be amazing. Now, uh, have you heard about the the? uh, uh, Well, actually. I always thought the dirty, hairy gun was the 357 Magnum, but I guess it's right. actually, it was actually a 44. Yeah. But, um. but I wasn't that line. This is the 357 Magnum, blah, blah, blah. Did I, did I, you're, you're asking, did I shoot five shots or, or six shots or only right. five Right. in any rate, but 357 Magnum is nothing compared to the 657 days as of today, this morning of, emergency declaration in Washington state brother. So this is the most powerful emergency declaration on the planet. You have to ask yourself, did he shoot six bullets or only five? Well, do you feel lucky punk? Do you? So this is not, James, not, brother.
1: not to be de- negative, but not in this state, we got to change and point 22, which is still, almost a year away before we can throw them out of office, basically. And then Inslee will still be there. We've got to maybe do a recall, whatever it may be. Um, But do we feel lucky? No, but we, we feel smart. We feel competitive that we can, we know we have to make a difference and the tide's on our side. Uh, To your point though, 600, how many days? 657 days this Saturday morning, right now, since Jay
0: Inslee declared a state of emergency, you see, we didn't, you and I talked about this on the radio and we said, this is too much power. This is too much. This is not defined. This is not clear. I remember us talking about it and they're like, Oh no, it's only for a tornado. It's only mm -hmm. for an earthquake. It's only for a volcano, you know, an invasion. And we didn't know that the body snatchers were going to invade Washington state and take over the
1: governor. As a reminder, this was a, an initiative to the people, a referendum to the people, where the legislature put it to ballot and the people had to vote on it. And they were it was sold to us as a minor modification that only in the rarest occasion, like Doug said, an earthquake and fire, the governor would need executive power to do these type of things. And we were like, no, bring in the ballot. No, 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 this is wrong. We, this is They will use this for any reason. So now we're in almost two years into this executive orders, emergency orders. We've had uh, World War II, World War I. We've had different things where the focus wasn't like this. We weren't shut down as a country. We've had tornadoes and hurricanes, major earthquakes, and yet it was short-term. Those are emergent things where the executive orders come into play. Yeah, it for was 30 never designed, days, man. Yeah, it was never days. designed for something like this. Over a… Two years.
0: Uh, almost doesn't two matter.
1: Years. Yeah they were looking for a reason and we know as as this uh, omicron's enough, and nothing as we we talk about it's it's uh, fatigue and whatever and they're saying mostly the vaccine are getting it that's not they're, the point. they're actually
0: they actually have come up with a new name for for omicron what's that variant common
1: cold common cold yeah there <laughs> you go <laughs> but you, you see what i'm saying though they, they used as as um they use fear to make people accept the fact that we can shut things down, where the government can actually shut down churches, shut down businesses, only the businesses, by the by way, that didn't support the Democrat Party, those that were independent, those weren't that weren't funded by public sector unions. And then they, pick, they go, okay, then restaurants, we've dealt with this for two years now, so the absurdity should have been pretty evident for everybody. You can have to wear a mask walking into a restaurant, but once you sit down, you can take it off. You know, this, this week I actually talked to a business owner that owns a major
0: uh, retail outlet over here in mm-hmm. this area. And he said, I'm tired of having to be the mask police, right? Because I get it from both ends. I get it from the state and I get it from the customers that don't want to wear them. And, right. and so I'm like, you know, that that is forcing us to to uh squeal and to be mm-hmm. authoritarian to our neighbor that's not loving our neighbor right mm-hmm. hey if you want to wear one because you got some delusion that it's going to do anything cuz that's basically it, you would have to be delusional to believe that the mask does anything mm-hmm. um then fine And then I shouldn't bother you because you're delusional. I just, you know, they're there, you poor deluded little thing, you know, but this idea that we're going to enforce this and, and, you know, I don't wear masks. I, I, I just don't. And I, you know, some people glare and other people look at you like, is that even allowed or whatever, but you know uh, this is more than just about a max or a Mm -hmm. vaccine passport here in King County. uh, You got to have show, you know, proof of vaccination to, to do public accommodation. So there's this big story this week about these five guys in New York that, that said, we're going to go eat at cheesecake factory. And we are not showing proof vaccination. We're arrested by the NYPD. Um, you know, this Title IX stuff, man, this stuff is legit. They were being denied public accommodation, a public restaurant, a public theater, or whatever, because of a a disability, right? I don't have the, I have this health thing mm-hmm. that doesn't allow, you know, or be uh, a religion because mm-hmm. of my religion doesn't let me put aborted babies in my bloodstream, you mm-hmm. know, or whatever. And so or scientific. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm curious what you think about that, brother. That's kind of wild. I don't think we've seen that in King County yet. Has anybody been putting that in? Not yet,
1: but this is all things, um, as I mentioned at at an event I had recently where I spoke to a group, uh, Inslee's own words was he was allowed to do this. He had the authority to carry this because we we complied. Our, Our compliance was assent to. And so what you see in New York is pushing that envelope. We have tyrannical power. We're going to force you to – they divide us, uh, get vaccinated, unvaccinated, through fear, and then make those that are vaccinated fear those that are unvaccinated. We've seen this at a national level, the mainstream media. So then you have politicians and policies in place to further divide and use one group against the other. This is Nazi Germany. This, it, doesn't is make lo- it doesn't even make logical sense. No, it doesn't. If I'm vaccinated – I have to, the only thing
0: I have to worry about, I don't have to worry about Omicron, Delta, or any of that stuff. I only have to worry about my unvaccinated people. I mean, this is like insanity. That's the dumbest thing ever. That's insanity. If you're vaccinated, then you're vaccinated. Right. Shut up and get out of my face. (laughs) You know, I mean,
1: really. I I know. But think about this too. Prior to all this, the talk of pandemic and masks and vaccines and all this push of government control, the government's gotten way out of control. We've lost our freedoms, and it's going to be hard to get them back in many cases. I will say this, though, is people used to put on a mask when they're sick. You know, Chinese countries, um, Asian countries do this all the time. When they are personally sick, they will put a mask on. Or if the air is filthy, they would be uh, taught to wear a mask so they wouldn't get it in their Yeah, we
0: were all wearing masks. What was that? Two
1: years ago, we had all that smoke. Uh Uh-huh. See, that's when you're supposed to. But but it was always a part about keeping you from spreading it to somebody else, right? It's never been about wearing it so you don't get it from somebody. It just it was never the people that were healthy that wore the mask. It was the people that were sick that wore the mask. You quarantined the sick, not the healthy. That's we in the Bible, that. man.
0: Yeah, He just said you're, it's the
1: sick that need a doctor, not the healthy. Exactly right. And so now, though, for the last two years, they've done the reverse. They've quarantined the healthy. They've masked up the healthy when we know psychologically that makes, we can't make personal connections. It harms our kids psychologically, emotionally. they,
0: They used to say, just say no to drugs. You know, they used to say hugs, not drugs. Now they're mm-hmm. saying drugs, not hugs, right? Six right. foot stays six foot away, you know. Which yep. is for me, is great. I'm not a hugger. I kind of like social distancing. And I think it's great. Um, but <laughs> That's uh, true. but drugs, I I gave up drugs, you know, when I got born again. So I'm right. really not. You know, it's it's like the whole world's upside down. It's so like black is white, white is black, red is good blue. is
1: evil, evil's good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and and
0: I'll tell you what, there's something is about to break. Something God's gonna do something, and people are, you know, you know. I told my wife, don't wear the mask. We went. I think I told you this last Mm -hmm. week, but we went to Winco. Don't wear the mask. Other people started taking the mask off when they saw that we didn't have them. Exactly right. And the and it's funny. The only places where I really get hassled for not wearing a mask are places where you wouldn't think. And it's like, like I go, went into a game store, you know, gamers, right? Right. Gamers, right. the rebels. They're the rebels and the outs and they think out of the box and they're like, you got to have a mask. And I'm like, no, I don't. And they're <laughs> like, you know, they can't understand that, but right. you know, well, I guess maybe gamers are rules people, but I just, I find that the people that are like that, that, that would be the least likely the kind of the rock and roll, you know, people mm-hmm. and whatever. They seem to be the ones that, that are fighting the hardest when I get out there um, going into, you know, major retailers all the time. And nothing, you know, nothing is said. And even you're, if they did say something, I'd be like, whatever, I yeah. got a
1: reason. I'm going to uh, segue this a little bit. You're in marketing, you're really good at what you do and your company is and so forth. There's a thing about once you've bought something, once you've made this, the, the decision to buy something. You defend that. You find ways to justify your purchase, right? You own it. I think much of the, what's going on now in society when they've divided us along those vaccinated, non-vaccinated masks and so forth, and then the fear behind that telling them they'll be sick, is this idea that I did this. I may have regret, but I, now I'm bought into this. I must push the same thing. I must hold you to For do your what own I self-esteem or whatever. Right, right. Because I've, I've, I have bought this. You know, I think there's some of that going to from a psychological standpoint where people may have bought a lie, but they're so invested in it that they can't go back and say I was wrong or I was misled. You know, I used right? to think it was odd when I'd see people driving
0: by themselves in the car with a mask on. Right. Now it seems so normal. It's just like they put it, it's just like they're used to wearing it. So they just wear it all the time. Right. They don't bother to not wear it. And uh, I was Christmas shopping the other day and um, panic, panic shopping actually. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I was in a place and they're, they're like, you have to have a mask. And I'm like, well, do you have one? So I'm, I'm delaying. I'm doing the delay tactic. And they go, Oh yeah, we'll get you one. So we go through, we pick out what we're getting. Uh, My wife and daughter, are are fixing to that means getting ready to check out they got the thing and uh he brings me the mask and i i go thank you and i put it in my pocket and he goes it's really hard for you to put that on isn't it and i go yeah it is (laughs) and he goes i think i understand and he just left me alone (laughs) after that it was like but you know because i'm ready to go out anyway i'm done right so um you know just let's figure out how to get our you know you you said we've lost our rights We've never lost our rights because the rights are from God. Mm-hmm. And if you want right. to talk, talk, you know, that's what they said about Jesus. That's what they said about Paul, Paul mm-hmm. and and Peter and these guys was they, they spoke boldly and it, you know, you look at what they're saying and they weren't saying that much, but what they were doing was they were going against the grain. Mm-hmm. They were saying what, what wasn't popular, but they were telling the truth. And as pastor Heath Rainwater said at my event Yes. Uh, the other day. Thank you, brother, for coming to that, by the way, and helping him out with that. You did an excellent job emceeing thank that. You. Thank um, you. He said, truth does not need to be defended, but truth needs a voice. Yes, it does. And so we are the voice of truth. Now, I'm not talking about Doug and Marty. I'm talking about you, the listener you Mm -hmm. are the voice of truth. Masks don't do anything. They don't work. Oh yeah. They keep spit off of you. If someone's going to sneeze on you, let me just ask you a question previous to the pandemic. How many people sneezed on you, Marty? I don't think it was very (laughs) many. I think most people notice sneeze into their sleeve or whatever. Right. I mean, come on. And, and so there's kind of like this, you know, (gasps) someone might sneeze and I don't know, but you know, the, that was the thing that made me stop wearing a mask. I sneezed into one of those babies. I'm like, this is like the grossest Gross. experience <laughs> ever had. A, this is worse than Doug and Marty versus the world reruns. There and, we go. Um, yeah. So it doesn't do any good. And yes. now on the vaccine, right? Mm-hmm. If you want to get it, get it. I don't care. Yep. But if you don't want to get it, don't get it. Right. right. And that's, it's called freedom of choice. And we have this, my body, my choice, right? For the, for the mm-hmm. abortionist. But when it comes to this, no, it's your body, our choice. Mm-hmm. Okay. So why should we, you know, so, okay. Anyway, I don't want to go there because no, I, know, I know a Supreme I know. Court decision in the making right now that's going to exactly overturn Roe right. v. Wade.
1: Exactly right. There's a lot of that though. we we'll would go back to de Blasio in New York, right? Finding people for having more than 32 ounces of Coke, right? The left has always wanted to control what we do with our bodies. This is no different. The only exception is abortion because they want to push the abortion industry. We, so that is evil, pure evil. But back to your question about the five guys in New York, this is something you would do. This is something that we, I would do. This is something that we encourage people to do. They understood that they've got to push back, non-comply, make them get arrested, bring it up in court. This is how we're pushing back. That's why in the court, all federal mandates for vaccine are in court and are an injunction. The federal employees, employees of companies with 100 employees or more, and even healthcare workers are all stopped in the courts because it's unconstitutional. And as, as long as we comply, they'll keep pushing them. The more we push back, the more we say no, the more we fight it through the legal process, they'll stop. You know, and so that's our- we job. are
0: all Rosa Parks, baby. Yes. Just riding in on. front of the bus. You know, all the v- buses around here have mask required. Get on the bus. Make them kick you butt, kick you off. Like, let's right? get it on and get your camera, get your phone out and film it. You know, let's just get it and let's just go. Let's just go Rosa Parks on them. You know, she's a champion of freedom. Let's be champions of freedom and all that. Hey, I have another question for you, brother. I'm just full of questions today. <laughs> what? is Christmas costing you more this year, brother? (laughs) They asked Joe Biden, they asked Joe Biden, the reason I'm asking, I've obviously Christmas is costing all of us more this year. Uh, And then part of that is just because our kids are older and their tastes and gifts are going up like Mm -hmm. astronomically, but they asked Joe Biden, you know, what about, you know, that. And he's like, Santa's going to, he, Joe Biden laughs Santa's going to have to pay more this year. That's what the, that's what these guys care about. They don't care they that don't you can't, care you, that and you're it, it's going to cost you $500 more this winter to, to heat your home. They don't care. It's going to cost you $500 more to drive your car or your pickup right. in our case. Right. So now right. you're down a grand. Okay. Guess what? My total budget for Christmas presents is like a grand. All right. Well, I've already, they already took my Christmas away from my kids. So right. unless
1: I, you know, use visa or discover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or whatever. Yeah.
0: You know? So, uh, so I want
1: to say this, this, this right there, we, if those people that are listening, our listeners are, are no, or don't know the, we have the highest inflation we've had since Jimmy Carter, since the 1970s and 1980s, there double digit, you know, inflate uh, interest rates that came out of the high inflation. We've got record number levels of inflation over the last 40 years because so much money coming in, all these problems, these, these, these policies, the Democrats are pushing and to your point. They don't care until recently because the polls are turning against all Democrats and President Biden. 35% of Americans that polled they did approve of his uh, handling of the the economy. Uh, I'm surprised it's 35% really. So when you think about this, you know, they're starting to go, oh, well, it's not our fault. It's COVID's fault. It's the pandemic's fault. Now they're handling
0: it great. Now, oh, we got this thing under control.
1: Liar, yeah, we're doing liar. something. No, you're not. I noticed yeah.
0: that. I noticed that Joe Biden's pants were on fire—actual fire—the <laughs> other day. So, but I right. think that might have been him passing wind, brother. I don't know. It's hard to tell with Biden if he's lying or passing wind.
1: Brother, and then I saw an article the other day that from a leftist newspaper. I think it was the New York Times. It, but don't quote me on that. But along the lines, it was saying that. Actually, inflation's good. It's good for you. How is it good for us when things cost more? When, like you said, we have less money to spend, especially in all these things. These policies are bad. We have to bring light to them. This is actual burdens on people, whether the gas prices, home heating oil prices, um, their gift prices, food prices are through the roof as well. And Jen Psaki, the press secretary for um, Joe Biden at the White House, First of all, try to blame others. But then she said, well, it's the meat growers, it's the farmers and the ranchers that that are artificially raising this. And and I'm like, oh, my gosh, blame everybody but you and your fiscal policy. That's why the Build Back Better big $3 trillion plan is stalled right now and probably won't get passed before, obviously, Christmas, which is good news for America. But that would just make inflation even worse. So things are high, but we can change it, brother. (laughs) Now the,
0: the the
1: the scoop
0: that I heard is that the infrastructure and all this stuff is stalled, the build back better, green new deal, whatever you want to call it, is stalled mm-hmm. because they want to focus on nationalizing elections, brother.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. So this yep. this idea that we can have the federal government take control of the state's elections. Remember, the states the states created the federal government. That's the, correct. the federal government is subservient to the states. That's correct. And that's where you're seeing the battle now between the states. I mean, they called the civil war in the 1860s mm-hmm. uh, the war between the states. And mm-hmm. we're seeing that now, the war between Florida and Texas and Idaho. And and the blue states. And they're lining up against Washington, Oregon, California. And of course, then with all the questions about election fraud, which now they're trying to like do this national, Mm -hmm. you know, they got Kim Wyman up there trying to turn the whole country into Washington after she successfully stole every election in Washington for the last, you know, 12 years. I'm so
1: glad you brought this up because they're saying, well, we may not be able to get this done, we're going to focus on this for, so give us this bones. We can't have this bone yet. Republicans do not fall for this. To Doug's point, this is taking over our elections, nationalism for all mail and ballot. So we'll never win a fair election again. It's really a messed up bill. And they're calling it the voters rights act. It's all this. You know, it's not. And to Doug's point, and they're like, look over here, we'll just do this. It's like the same thing with executive powers where Doug and I talked about on the radio, watch out for this. This is not good. Don't give the governor that kind of power and sure, lo and behold, He's using it now for almost two years. Same thing for this Voters Rights Act. This is not uh, a innocuous time.
0: The time has come to push back, to fight, to say something. Don't, you know, the storm is not blowing over people. You can't put your head down. You have to get up. You have to swing. Well uh, you had the opportunity to interview James Golden and Mm -hmm. uh, that, that seems like, uh, you know, I don't know why you get all the fun. But uh, why don't you introduce this next clip for us, brother?
1: I think it was timing. Uh, James Golden was um, Bo Snerly. His nickname was Bo Snerly. He was with Rush Limbaugh for 30 years before Rush Limbaugh passed away. He was the producer, the call screener. What a great guy. He's wrote a book about Rush Limbaugh and his time with there, the behind the scenes, what he was really like. Got a chance to get on the air with him, ask him some questions about the Supreme Court case, asked him about Rush Uh, It was very entertaining. Um, We'll definitely have to have him back, but yeah, got a chance to do a short interview with him about about 20 minutes long or so. Um, And I was impressed. Can you imagine being behind the scenes of literally the start of conservative talk radio? Our show wouldn't have happened without Rush Limbaugh. And he kind of tells about how that started and kind of how he was. He was the same person behind the scenes as he was on the radio. And they knew immediately that Rush was going to be a star. So Obviously we got a queued up. We got a, a, the interview here. I just, as, you know,
0: I just really want to say this, you know, it does take a team. And so mm-hmm. just because everybody can't be Rush Limbaugh doesn't mean that all these other people aren't important too. You've got to have a team. We need to, you know, if you're not out front, that's fine. You can still get behind people and you can still make that difference in that way. Like, like James Golden, AKA Bo Snerdley did. Well, yep. why don't we uh, go ahead and go to this interview and uh, we'll end the show with that.
2: Sounds
1: great. Awesome. All right. I'm joined here today. I'm honored to be joined with James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snirley, the guy that spent 30 years as Rush Limbaugh's call screener, but he actually has a long career in radio before Rush and, of course, still now as well, and he's added author to his name, but I want to welcome Bo Snirley. Uh, a.k.a. I should back it up, James Golden, a.k.a. boaster <laughs> to my program. James, thank you so much for doing this, uh, for coming on the program and talking to our listeners.
2: My pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I, I really appreciate it.
1: Um, I know that you're a busy guy. Uh, obviously, I'll get to the book in a second, but you've had a legendary career. And, of course, I've checked out your website at jamesgolden.com for our listening audience. And you've spent a long time, but you started off on Radio Says with a James and uh, Joel show. Was that a local show you did? I started
2: off actually before that. James and Joel was somewhere uh, during the process. I started, I I went to my first radio station when I was 14 years old. My cousin was a disc jockey in New York. Went to a radio station, fell in love, knew what, what I wanted to do. Started working. Um, at that very same radio station um, when I was rather young as a marketing research director within a few years from there I was at WABC as their music director. That's when it was still the last uh, big iconic top 40 radio station the trendsetter actually in the country produced their last music show, walked into another studio and produced their first talk show so Yeah, I've been in radio a long time. (laughs) Now
1: I got to ask this though: Did did you have your deep dulcet voice when you were fourteen, or did that develop as you got older?
2: Well, I had a rather deep voice when I was fourteen. It's gotten a little bit deeper Mm -hmm. over the years, and um, yeah, but it was. I've, I've had a deep voice for most of my adult life. So, okay. yeah.
1: yeah. Obviously, people always t- talk about the deep voice. It's not always that. It's about the entertaining fact on radio. So I want to get to your book um, fairly quickly. I know you wrote a book called Rush on Radio. Um, you spent 30 years um, behind the scenes with Rush Limbaugh as his call screener. And um, I have read a portion of the book. I haven't read it all yet. But what I've read so far is intriguing. I want to read more. It's really, really, really good when it comes down to the point where he talks about the show's beginnings, how you and Rush met, how you got the nickname of Bo Snerdly. Um, And of course, there's more I want to talk about, but tell us about the book.
2: Well, you know, after Rush passed, even even as he, after he had announced, I I began to think about what is Rush's legacy going to be? And I wanted to play a part in that, you know, when and throughout his career, Rush has had people that have been really critical of him who never listened to the show, who are just following political talking points. And and in fact, at various points in his career, have, uh, there have been other people that have spread harmful, hateful lies about things he supposedly said, which never happened. So I wanted to make sure that there was Um, An honest appraisal about who Rush was from one of the people that that loved him very dearly, me. And I I tell you, anybody on our staff could have written this because we all have such deep love and affection for Rush and for the way that he lived his life. Uh, As you know, there are very few that walk among us that can claim ever to be perfect. We all have our flaws as human beings. But I will tell you that Rush was exceptional. And he was exceptional also, even working past, you know, the problems that he had over the years, some of which, when you live under a microscope, have, very, have been very well known. But he was a guy who was always polite, always um, treated people extremely well, very generous human beings, and uh, had just a tremendous, gift uh, in terms of his abilities on the air and as a broadcaster. But I think that those gifts were also matched by everything that he was about in his personal life, which, again, extremely generous to strangers, to friends and family alike, just an exceptional human being.
1: Yeah, you got part of that, obviously, from listening to the show. I'm a big Rush fan. I was a big Rush fan. Uh, I made a point to tune in as much as I could during the day, had it all in the background. And, of course, during the last days when he um, announced his uh, diagnosis, um, kind of as he was on there, off again, we had the guest host on. Uh, you really moved the nation and those people that grew up on listening to Rush. But the book where it talks about sort of the behind the scenes, that he was this type of person all the time that he was the professional that he was on the air, but off the air this family feel? I think people really need to hear that.
2: You know, yeah, off the air, you know, first of all, he was a consummate professional. So even during that last year, which was so difficult for him when he was in and out of treatment, when he was on the air, you couldn't even tell he, he was um, going through the illness. His energy level was so up. The shows he delivered always very well prepared. He was um, always prepared for his show and worked ceaselessly and tirelessly to do show prep. That was such a part of his life. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, those of us that were there, Dawn of the Chinsky, Brian Johnson, and myself, who were there most days, we could see the terrible toll that had taken on him in terms of his energy level, his pain level, and, and I just admire what it took out of him to do it. As I, I've said, uh, you know, he had a bucket list. I think if I were given a death sentence, as he was, that my bucket list wouldn't necessarily be work. It wouldn't be on the air. It wouldn't be radio. It'd be perhaps traveling and seeing places in the world that I hadn't seen or doing things that I hadn't done before. But Rush had a bucket list, too, and his bucket list was his audience. He wanted to be there with his audience every second that he could. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly what he did, even to the point that we did not know his last show was his last show. Um, it was just, um, It was just an amazing thing to watch. The passion that he had and always maintained to deliver an excellent performance And he held that from the very first day he began the syndicated show to the very last day he was able to come in and be with us. Uh,
1: At the end or near the end there, he started talking a little bit how his private life, he didn't share his faith, how he had a a deepening of his walk. And and we talked to a Christian audience across um, this network, uh, across the American Christian network, which we do the show on. And so I know that's important to them as well. Um, but then he talked about the fact that he was called to, be, uh, uh, to talk and us to listen. This, this is something that me and my, my co-host, Doug Bassler, we always talk to the audience about, we believe you're called. You've been anointed and appointed for a time such as this, that you can make a difference in your community, to do what God's called you to be. And I, I know he talked a lot about the fact that he, this is what he called to do. Like you said, a consummate professional. And yet, um, what would you say right now about, about his faith? about his walk, the fact that really there are people in the audience that uh, have a gift that they can serve their neighbors by doing what they're called to do.
2: Well, of course, in the final year, Rush talked more openly about his deep and abiding faith. And in fact, if you look at one of the, the, the Limbaugh letters that was published shortly after, um, the, the newsletter was Published, I believe, within a week after he he, he passed away. Mm-hmm. The cover on that newsletter is with him with folded hands, saying that God is with me. And he chose that cover. He, no one else chose that cover. He chose that cover. And I think it speaks to his faith. Over the years he made it a point that the show wasn't going to set out to try to proselytize, but at the same time, when the topic of religion did come up, or, or his religion, or God, he spoke about it openly. But again, during the last year, he brought up the topic. And I think if he wanted to reassure people who were probably emailing him, or I don't know whether whether that's true or not, but I, I tend to think that maybe he just wanted people to know that he did have this deep and abiding faith and that he felt comfortable with that. And he saw quote unquote, the bigger picture that this life coming to an end wouldn't be the end of his life.
1: Amen. And I would think we would all say that. I think that's the biggest thing that I got when I listened to rush, not only was I educated and entertained, but it was along the lines. That he connected the dots for me and you have to have a bigger picture internal picture, if you will, um, to, to see how things connect together. And sometimes there's a faith in knowing that things will work out one way or another, but in the small things that we talk about politics and culture and religion, there's a lot of connecting parts. So I think that's really encouraging. I think he did an excellent job at that. So I have a question for you, James. Um, when um, President Trump gave him the Congressional Medal of Honor there, What was that like in the studio when he received that? I know it was a big emotional thing for him. Well,
2: we weren't in the studio. You know, the thing about that, right after Rush made his announcement, he flew up to Boston, and he and Catherine were getting ready for his first day of treatment when all this came up. This came up the night before he was supposed to begin his treatment. I got a call um, earlier that afternoon from Sean Hannity telling me that I should make sure to watch. Something special is going to happen, and of course, later that night we saw Rush and Catherine in the honored guests uh, uh, section at the U.S. Capitol. I think he was genuinely surprised that this ceremony was going to take place right then, after the president announced that he was going to get that, uh, going to get the highest national civilian award. Right, and I think he was genuinely surprised that it happened that night. But as it turns out, we didn't see Russ again until a few days later after his treatment. He went right back and began his treatment. And it was later in that next week that he came back to work. And by then, what he wanted to do is just jump right back into the news of the day and just go about his show. I think we didn't even, he didn't even mention it on the air. Until the last hour of the show that day that he returned. But it was certainly one of the most special things that has ever happened to Rush, to Rush fans, those of us at the show who were just so pleased for him and so filled with gratitude that the president would bestow that honor upon him.
1: It was a special moment, and I know it was for the whole team, as you guys are 30 years. It's amazing to me. So, of course, if people want the book, it's Rush on the Radio by James Golden, a.k.a. Boast Nerdly. You can buy it on Amazon or on his website at jamesgolden.com. But, James, since you've been on radio for so long, I have a couple of questions. That, one of them was you had a your podcast links on your Uh-oh. website. Um, you have different topics and stuff. You have one on morality. And something that I'm very passionate about as well, you were talking about the black community and instruction of family Isn't that the number one issue? For me, it is um, the restoration of fathers to homes. I mean, especially in the black community. Can you comment on that or anything?
2: Well, I think it goes beyond um, just the black community to what is happening in many American communities. Uh, And if you go around the world, interestingly enough, the same thing that are afflicting our communities are affecting other countries, even those that have homogeneous society for the most part. Mm-hmm. And it all boils down to this a uh, devaluation of life, mm-hmm. a lack of a moral compass in the society itself. And it seems that in so many instances, people have lost their directions. And, and look, some of this, I don't think you can blame necessarily people for when you look at some of the things that have been covered in some of the institutions uncovered in some of the religious institutions around the world Mm -hmm. where you have people that are supposed to be above reproach doing horrible things with children, for instance, it's enough to make people question and lose their faith and lose hope. But ultimately I think if America is going to, have a rebirth of our values It's going to come because people are going to seek out that spiritual guidepost in their individual lives. And that will grow into communities that also have those shared values that mm-hmm. once upon a time we used to have in many sectors of America.
1: Yep. Amen.
2: and, 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 and it will, the pendulum will swing again toward that direction. I think some of the things that are afflict, afflicting black um, communities across the country, and I say this all the time, you know, it is astounding that in the early 1960s, black households had the lowest rate of abortion mm-hmm. had the highest rate of two parent families were interested in making sure their kids were able to have a quality education. That was back when state, were not allowing them to have it was very important to try to overcome that
3: mm-hmm.
2: now you look at all the freedoms that we have in our society and you look at what has happened to the black communities and you see incredible rates of of crime especially affecting young black men where the biggest change of the young black men isn't that they're going to get killed by a white police officer it's that another person between 18 and 24 years old will take the life of a of, of black man also between the ages of 18 and 24 years old mm-hmm. it is a a shame to say but black americans now have the highest rate of abortion in the country
3: mm-hmm.
2: and one of the lowest rates of two-parent households so the fortunes in the black community is we have more and more freedom that has happened as a result of legislation there seems to be a decline in the things that really matter and some of that was due to the great society mm-hmm. the, the alleged great society that wanted to substitute the government for the for the father figure that wanted to substitute their own will gift you money rather than um teach the appreciation of working for what you have for subsidizing birth out of wedlock. And it has had a devastating effect on society. And again, especially on black communities and, and in Hispanic communities. And those are the things that over the course Uh of time, I'm I'm sorry. That was my computer acting up. Not a problem. (laughs) Uh, uh, um, It was, it, it, it has to be corrected. And those things are going to take time to correct. We're see- looking now at almost a 50-year slide in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. It's not going to change overnight, but we do have to stay with it if we're going to really see this country change again.
1: We look, we look at these numbers, and I agree with you 100%, um, James. In the Seattle area, in 1984, the inner-city black community had the highest two-parent household, highest graduation rate, and highest percentage of homeownership in the state. 35 years later, it's just reversed. Highest crime rate, highest dropout rate, lowest homeownership rate, lowest two-parent homes. And like you said, a lot of that is legislation or policies that, that encourage or do the wrong things. But you also are right because James Madison said that – our constitution's wholly inadequate for an immoral people. And we've got to get back to God. We've got to get back to these shared values, as you said. And we have to encourage that the the whole um, family structure is so important for generational um, building and wealth. Um, Not just financial wealth, but actual uh, values, sharing, passing them down for generation to generation. And so I want to, on this, one last question for you. Um, since today we're doing the interview on the first of, of December, the Supreme Court is is actually seeing a case right now on uh, that may overturn in some ways Roe v. Wade. You know, uh, over thirty you know, some years ago, almost forty years ago at that that point. Um, if Rush were alive, and of course your point as well is, what do you th- what do you see? It, are we going in the right direction in America when it comes to the life issues? Is this one of those things that? Um, Will enough people care? This is where we're at.
2: I think that, number one, let us look to President Trump Mm -hmm. and what his term was. I know a lot of people have issues with President Trump, all the mean tweets and all the rest of it. But we have never had such an openly pro-life Republican president as President Trump. And I think that his public pro-life stance helped propel and gave courage to some of the things that were happening in individual states that are now finding themselves in the court let's also remember that he promised to bring people on the court that would would look at these issues from a conservative viewpoint and he and mr mcconnell did that um as for the individual way the kid as for the way that this individual case the uh, mississippi case will turn out Mm -hmm. i don't know and I don't think anyone watching the court will know. I see stories today that, oh, it looks like the court is going to lean to week Roe v. row Wade. It looks like the court is going to do this. How many times have we listened to court watchers and then when the decision comes out, all of us are left, flabbergasted because we believe what the court watchers say. So I've kind of learned not to uh, hold up the crystal ball to what the court says. I'll just wait for the decision. But one can always hope that we will see the beginnings of a long overdue correction. Amen. Uh, if you go back, I, I when I was much younger, I read a book uh, by Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein. I think it was the follow-up book to to uh, all the the president's men when they it, it may have been, but it was certainly not long afterwards. They wrote a book called The Bet, The Brethren, and it was a book examining the lives of the of the justices on the Supreme Court and, the, and that current makeup of the court. In it, I was astounded even then, and I, I my political views weren't shaped as well as they are now. But I was astounded at the arbitrary nature that was behind some of the decisions in Roe v.ersus Wade. It was a poorly it was a poorly written and poorly executed decision. Mm-hmm. So this is an overdue correction for me. Of course, the left in America is going to have a cow.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, as for what Rush would think, I don't know. But I do know this, Rush was always optimistic and maintained his optimism about America till the very end. And what he said most recently was, um, and he was actually frustrated because someone had asked him for the 10,000th time, Rush is a time to panic. And he finally said, look, no, it is not time to panic. It is never going to be time to panic because America is always going to be worth fighting for. And he was a optimistic warrior on that front. So regardless of how he may feel about a particular story and what he may have thought, and he often defied the conventional wisdom and defied what we thought we thought, we knew what he might say, and he came up with something completely different that left us shaking our heads and saying, oh, wow, I never expected to hear that. I wish I had thought of that. But regardless of that, we do know that he would have been optimistic about the future of this country because he always was. And he often said that we cannot give up on this country.
1: Amen. And I couldn't have said that better. Obviously, uh, when thinking about this nation, you know, we believe it's unique. It's like Reagan saying, the city on the shiny hill. Um, it is worth fighting for, but we can't go anywhere else. And, and like you said, to wrap this up, that we have to have a shared values. And there's no better place than to share the value of life across this nation, across this world, uh, restoring or correcting, like you said, a mistake back many, many years ago in 73. Um, would be a great start to restoring the morality, the culture, the shared values of this nation that we value each and every one of us as one of God's children. So, James, thank you very much for being my guest. Uh, Go find the book Rush on the Radio by James Golden at his website at jamesgolden.com or on Amazon. I'm sure you can buy it anywhere. James, uh, thank you so much. It's been an honor to have you on the show, and God bless you.
2: It's been my honor, and and one day I'd love to come back. I so enjoyed our conversation, so thank you so much.
1: Likewise. I'll talk to you soon.
2: Thank you, sir. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye.